From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Jim Jordan fails again. Welcome to the fastest show in politics as the Republican from Ohio falls short of the votes needed to become Speaker of the House in a second round that is just now ending. We're joined ahead by Congressman Seth Moulton, the Democrat from Massachusetts, with his view on the role that Democrats may play in resolving all of this, what it means for funding for Israel and the U.S. strategy in the Middle East. With insights today and analysis from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us for the hour. So let's get right to it as we join you live from Washington. And with me at the table is Bloomberg Politics editor Laura Davison. Laura, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming in at a very busy moment. This is just resolving now on the House floor, and it appears Jim Jordan is having a worse day today than he did yesterday. 22 uh, members of the Republican conference voting for someone other than Jim Jordan. Is his nomination or trajectory for the speakership dead? Uh, it is looking like it is heading that way. He came off the floor and didn't say what he would do in terms of future plans. Uh, but he, he did convince a couple members to vote for him, but net there were uh, more that, that voted against him this time. So mm -hmm. things are not trending in the right direction. The real question is, if not Jordan, then who? Uh, yeah. There's other names that have been floated out there. Kevin Hearn is one example. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the factions we really see hardening against really any Republican is a lot of New York lawmakers are banding together and saying, we're not going to support anyone that doesn't uh, agree with expanding the SALT, the state and local tax deduction, <laughs> okay. um, which is you know a total blast from the past, kind yeah. of out of right field. But this has been a longstanding issue in the House in these high tax areas, you know, Southern California, uh, New York City area. You remember those are the, those are the areas that make the majority for the House for mm -hmm. who, whichever party's in charge, and mm -hmm. they really like this tax deduction, very important uh, to a lot of Bloomberg viewers and readers You're as right. well. We hear about it all the time. Um, so this is kind of becoming the undercurrent of uh, you know who can be speaker. Uh, you got to support this wonky tax deduction. Wow! If it comes down to salt, that is kind of uh, funny considering the level of dysfunction that we're witnessing right now. To your point, though, if it's not Jim Jordan, who is he going to get a third round, a fourth round? How much patience is there to keep doing this? The reason there was so much patience with McCarthy is because they one he showed progress on yeah, every right. um, step. He also had a lot of goodwill built up on the party. He had mm -hmm. raised money for a lot of these people. Jim Jordan and frankly any other person. Uh, that could be put up doesn't have that kind of same respect among the base of the party. And so there's less likely to be demand to go, you know, do dozens of votes. Uh, so we'll see. Um, the House has not yet announced if they're going to hold a third vote or sure, if someone else is right. going to jump in the race. It's very up in the air right now. It's totally up in the air. Even lawmakers that we're speaking with off the record have no apparent idea of what's going to come next, which has been the case for days, Laura. It's kind of an incredible environment that we're in here. As we then consider uh, the next option, which is going with what you got. Patrick McHenry, Speaker Pro Tem, the idea would be to make him, I guess, formally elect him as Speaker Pro Tem, which would give him the effective powers of uh, of a full-blown speaker. That would take some Democrats to make it happen, though, wouldn't it? It would. And and one of the things that's being discussed right now is, you know, how long would he have these these more uh, these more full powers? Um, of course, mm -hmm. you know, the government is set to shut down a month from today. So that's a key date that people are looking at. There's also um, the White House is sending over um, Israel, Ukraine, sort of a package of, of aid later this week um, that they're expecting. So there's a lot of stuff on their plate. Yeah, right. Um, but Democrats are going to want something in return in order to vote to put up the votes to support McHenry. There are certain things that they could, you know, that McHenry could offer, you know, bring up certain bills, you know, Ukraine could be a chip that they play here. Right. Uh, but there's things that they that they want that they're not going to get. You know, Democrats are not going to get more seats on, on various committees. They're not going to get a larger budget. Those are the kind of things, and it just will depend away on, you know, will Democrats get enough to 
to you know have 10 members or so go ahead and, and cross right. the aisle. Amazing stuff. I appreciate uh, your joining today, Laura. Next time we speak, I suspect everything will have changed because that's uh, the routine that we're getting used to here. She's Bloomberg Politics Editor and with us here live on Bloomberg Sound On. Great to have you, Laura, and thank you. As we add the voice of Congressman Seth Moulton, even with the action happening on the House floor, the Democrat from Massachusetts is taking some time for us right now. Congressman, it's good to see you. I guess I'll pick up here. There are a lot of things I want to ask you about that we were just discussing with Laura, but this idea of, uh, of a deal with Democrats to give Patrick McHenry uh, the full powers of House Speaker, is that something that you would help out in? Well, it's certainly something that I would consider. Obviously, the details of the deal matter here. We don't want to just give the reins to someone who's going to run away with all the horses. But he's, Mm. I think this is something that's being actively discussed. I discussed it as recently as about 10 minutes ago on the floor of the House, because we need to get the the House back to functioning. I mean, what, what we're witnessing right now, Joe, is a nationwide Republican civil war, you know, playing out across the country in a party that's led by an indicted insurrectionist and it's coming to a head right now in the house of the house of representatives in a way that's just frozen congress we are powerless as a united states congress that's never happened before in american history and we saw in israel what happened when your what happens when your adversaries see political dysfunction at home they might attack. So what's happening right now, this civil war in the Republican Party is actually a serious risk to our national security. That's why it's so important that we come up with some solution, even if the Republicans can't manage to nominate a speaker who can actually get the votes. Well, my goodness, how many rounds do you think we're in for here? It looks like patience is running thin in the Republican conference. And I know, Congressman, that you're not in the room for those conversations, but a lot of folks are saying Jim Jordan's bid for speaker is already dead. Do you agree? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, Jim Jordan is one of the most extreme members of Congress, not just the Republican Party, just of Congress writ large. He's not passed a single piece of legislation in the entire time He's been in office. Think about that. Completely incapable of working. I want, with other I want you to qualify that for us, if you can, Congressman, because we keep hearing that. Tell our listeners and viewers what that actually means when you look across the aisle and you see a member who's never passed a bill. What it means is that he spends all his time doing something else. So taking, you know, actually passing legislation, which I mean, many would argue is our job in Congress, right. takes some work. It takes some work building trust with your colleagues, both in your party and across the aisle. Uh, We've been on this show before talking about my bill to establish uh, 988 as a nationwide mental health hotline. I had to develop Mm -hmm. trust with a Republican colleague, a veteran, Chris Stewart from from Utah. We had to work very hard to get it through the committee uh, of jurisdiction to get it through not only the House, but the Senate and then signed by the president. That all takes time and effort. Jim Jordan's never done that or at least he's never done it successfully. He's literally, he's been here a lot longer than me. He's never passed a single bill that he has authored. And yet look at how much time he put into trying to undermine the election. That's, that tells you a lot about Jim Jordan's priorities. He is so extreme that a whole bunch of his Republican colleagues won't even support him. Some folks say you're talking about the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and that is a slightly different and more specialized role, and he's, in fact, very busy. Of course, we know that he's busy on an impeachment inquiry uh, into Joe Biden, Congressman. Where does that go? Is it on ice right now without a speaker, or, or can you give us an update? No one knows. I mean, nothing. I mean, we're literally doing nothing. Uh, nothing is happening right now in Congress. It's a, it's a perilous situation to be for our government uh, for our country. That means that we can't respond to an emergency. Uh, we can't do anything to uh, to support Israel in this war or to comp- continue supporting Ukraine in theirs. Uh, we can't even pass a simple resolution that just says, hey, we support you. I mean, the most basic things. And by the way, to your comment about Jordan being uh, his new job as Judiciary Committee Chairman, <laughs> most yeah. most chairmen of committees have passed a lot of bills because that's what your job is as a, as a committee chairman as well. So most people who get that job have have done this and most chairmen manage to pass a lot of bills while they're while they're in that position. 
We're Not spending time with Congressman Seth Moulton of Massachusetts. Uh, you're talking about urgent business, urgent needs, uh, which brings us directly to the situation in Israel. I'd like to ask you about a couple of elements here, beginning with this $100 billion request for funding that the uh, White House is cooking up for not only Israel, but Ukraine congressmen, Taiwan, and border security. Do you support that approach, considering that the government is set to shut down in one month and there's no leadership in the majority? Yes, I think President Biden is doing the right thing to put this package all together uh, and send it to Congress. But of course, what we should be doing in Congress is receiving the president's outline and then debating it and amending it, you know, passing this through committee. I sit on the House Armed Services Committee. We debate funding packages all the time, really down to the details. So we're confident that we're spending American taxpayer dollars well, that we're investing not just in these wars overseas, but fundamentally investing in our own national security by supporting democracies around the globe. Those are important debates to be having in Congress. And of course, once again, we can't have those debates. We can't pass this legislation, even if the president sends us a package until we get a Speaker of the House. While we consider funding for Israel, you wrote an op-ed for CNN with the headline, Netanyahu needs an endgame. And you reflected on your own service, Congressman. Uh, Most people uh, are aware that you're a combat veteran. You served four tours as a Marine in Iraq. And endgame is meaningful to you based on your experience. This whole trip that we've seen the last 24 hours with President Biden has seen a real shift in sentiment. His uh, summit with Arab leaders has been canceled. There's debate over who to blame for the blast at this hospital. And this is a real political challenge for him. To what extent is he addressing endgame on this journey to Israel? Well, what I understand, um, and I just uh, was on the phone with a former Secretary of Defense uh, just uh, an hour or so ago, is that there are a lot of conversations going on behind the scenes with Israel trying to share with Israeli leadership all the lessons that we've learned over 20 years of war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we had some successes. Those are often forgotten to history, but we had an awful lot of failures that we know well. One of those, of course, was going into Iraq and going into Afghanistan with no plan whatsoever for what happens next. What happens the day after you so-called defeat the enemy, right? We had a very successful invasion of Iraq, remarkably successful. Uh, it, it went, it couldn't have gone better in so many ways. And then a few months later, an insurgency came up. I went home from that first tour in Iraq um, after the invasion, literally to march in victory parades And then a few months later, I was back fighting a vicious insurgency that had started after my Marine unit left. So there are a lot of lessons for us to to share with the Israelis. But my big concern and the reason why, you know, the title of the op-ed is about the endgame is that I have not heard uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu or any other Israeli leaders articulate any ideas for this at all. They all say they're going to crush Hamas. Okay, that's going to be very hard. We can go into why that's going to be hard. But even if you succeed, what happens next? Because if you just go back to the status quo, you're just going to have more terrorist attacks. I mean, if you leave Gaza a smoldering mess after you crush Hamas, you're just going to recruit more terrorists to the cause. You're actually going to put yourself in a worse situation than you find yourselves today. So this is very concerning, and it's going to be very difficult for Israel to get this right. President Biden spoke today uh, in Israel about the lessons learned uh, from 9-11. It was really something, and I'm guessing this hits home for you personally and the experience that you're sharing here, because he talked about some of the overreach that the U.S. was responsible for following 9-11, and his advice was to not be consumed by rage, How worried are you about overreach in this case, Congressman, where Israel moves to defeat Hamas, but also creates a new generation of terrorists? Well, I mean, that's that's the question. And I I don't think it's quite that simple. Um, I think that, you know, Israelis have every right to be enraged. And frankly, they have every right uh, to kill the perpetrators of this vicious, barbaric attack on innocent Israeli kids. Right. I mean, that's how you have to respond uh, to some acts of terror, taking out what we call the irreconcilable terrorists, the terrorists you're never going to convince 
uh, to behave differently, who just want your death and destruction, you have to take them out. We had to do that ourselves um, in Iraq and Afghanistan once that insurgency uh, started. Now, I, by the way, I get the fact that the insurgency started largely because of our presence there. Uh, you can argue that the situation in Israel is a bit different with this with this attack uh, on innocent Israeli kids in their beds. Um, but the bottom line is that, you know, taking out terrorists is part of the equation. But then you have to win over the rest of the population, because if you don't do that, uh, you, you run into this problem that we call terrorist mass. And General Stanley McChrystal, the famed American general, he he estimated it was 10 to 1. That means that for every innocent Israel, every innocent person, innocent civilian that you kill, you recruit about 10 terrorists to the cause. And so Israel's got to be very careful because every time uh, they have an accident, they, you know, they they try to take out a, a terrorist, but they end up killing some civilians. You know, they might take out one terrorist and recruit 10 more. And that that puts them on the wrong side of that equation. Congressman, I know you need to run in a moment, but with the time we have left, you've actually fought this battle. What are Israeli soldiers in for when it comes to house to house, door to door, as we keep hearing and fighting an insurgency in Gaza? It's a great question, Joe, because we've just talked a lot about uh, the risks to this mission of killing innocent civilians and the humanitarian crisis in unfolding in Gaza right now is just terrible um, and it's heartbreaking to see. I mean, Israeli kids are innocent in this, little Palestinian kids are, are innocent as well, and, and no one wants to, to see them killed. We haven't talked about what you just put out there, which is what is this gonna be like for the Israeli kids, those, those really kids, right? Like 18, 19 year old soldiers yes. who are gonna be sent into this built up city. And the answer is it is going to be devastating it's going to be incredibly difficult in my op-ed on cnn i i shared a story of of fighting in the urban environment in in iraq and how difficult it was just to take over one small two-story building and you look at gaza the buildings are 10 times as high you know uh 10 times as many five times as many uh, people as we saw in these iraqi cities so i mean the 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 mission that Netanyahu is giving to these young Israeli, these brave Israeli kids is, is, is massively difficult. And I think that has to be part of the, you know, sobering discussion about, about what we should really, what they should really do here. Congressman Seth Moulton, we appreciate the time as always, the Democrat from Massachusetts on the Armed Services Committee speaking through his experience as a combat veteran in Iraq. It's good to see you, sir. And I hope that We'll stay in touch as we find our way through this speaker's race. Patrick McHenry uh, just gaveled out the session. Jim Jordan has lost the second round, and we move into this day further without a Speaker of the House. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. It is not getting any easier for Jim Jordan. In fact, the congressman has lost the second round and it was worse than yesterday. The House at now 1.23 p.m. Washington time is already in recess. No person having received a majority, the whole number of votes cast by surname, a speaker has not been elected. Pursuant to Clause 12A of Rule 1, the chair declares the House in recess subject to the call of the chair. The House has no speaker. 
As we assemble our panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Great to have, guys, both of you back today. Uh, we lived through one round without you yesterday, and now number two. Rick, Jim Jordan lost 22 Republican members. That's two more than yesterday. How many tries will he get? Oh, I think it's two and done. Um, I, I, one, yeah. I don't think he wants to go through any more of this than he has to. Uh, he, he will continue to lose votes, from what I can tell, in any subsequent round. And so I think he even said so today. Uh, he's going to take a pause. Uh, they're going to probably have a caucus meeting and try to figure mm -hmm. out what to do. But this is a caucus in utter disarray. Um, I, I, it'll be really interesting to see what comes out of this. There's obviously a lot of energy behind trying to find a deal to extend powers to Patrick Mahen McHenry, the current Speaker Pro Tem. Uh, Newt Gingrich and uh, former Speaker Boehner came out yesterday pushing that concept. Democrats like Seth Moulton, we just interviewed, uh, think it's a good idea. So uh, they're, they're, if we can't find a candidate that can get 217 votes, and I don't think we can in the Republican side, then that may be the yeah. next, you know, possible. Well, pretty remarkable. Here we are, Jeannie. A day later, everything has changed again. And Seth Moulton, as Rick references, says he was talking about Patrick McHenry and maybe a deal involving Democrats to, to give full powers of the speakership to Patrick McHenry 10 minutes before he joined us. Is that where we're going? You know, that that seems the best and maybe the only path forward at this point. You know, things are bad. I'm listening to this vote and somebody is nominating Candace Miller. And I think, who the heck is Candace Miller? She's the Macomb <laughs> County Public Works Commissioner. I mean, that's how bad <laughs> things have gotten. I've never heard of her. God bless Candace Miller. She got a vote. So they do need to seriously consider Republicans and Democrats joining together, extending McHenry's powers so that they can move forward with the business of the people. Representative Moulton made such an important point to you. Not only are they frozen, but God forbid there is a crisis in this country. They are mm -hmm. absolutely unable to address it. And haven't we learned anything from watching what has happened in Israel over the last several days, several weeks? A government in chaos is terribly dangerous. And that is what we are at this point and the entire world knows it. So give McHenry the powers, move forward and do the business of the people and sort out your business Republicans when you can. What would a deal like that include Rick, or would there be a timeline on it? Would this be Democrats saying, great, do whatever you have to do. Let's get a CR. Let's fund the government. Let's get these supplemental requests for Israel and Ukraine and get it done in the next 90 days, say, or is this open-ended in which he could become speaker permanently? Yeah, I'd, I'd start where you finish. It would be nuts to do anything but make Patrick Mahent McHenry speaker. Right. If if wow. he has a limit on his powers or his term, he'll be shackled by the same dysfunctional Congress that can't currently elect a speaker. If we're going to open the door and and Republicans are going to do a deal with Democrats, it needs to be for a permanent speaker. And it needs to get rid of things like these motions to vacate for one person. Yeah. And it needs to be able to function as a true Congress. Uh, no limits to the authority. Uh, other than what's prescribed for the speaker. Um, anything short of that, I think, is an elixir to make dysfunction even more crazy than it currently is. And I think the American people have sort of had enough with this, this mess. Uh, once the Republicans make a decision that they're going to entertain Democratic votes to elect a speaker because they can't do it themselves, um, you, know, you need to have some kind of permanence to it. Does that become a power sharing agreement? Jeannie, what would Democrats need to pull the lever on this? You know, I think something we heard today, in fact, when when Representative Aguilera was introducing Jim Jeffries, I think one thing they will ask for is when this consideration of funding for Israel comes up, that it includes Ukraine. That's going to be a hard pill for some conservative Republicans to swallow, but moderate Republicans will be there. I do think they are going to ask for things like that, that they can and should expect that McHenry, if he does indeed become a speaker pro tem with extended powers, 
would be able mm -hmm. to offer them because otherwise there's no reason for them to go along with this deal. Um, but those are the kind of things I think we would likely hear about. And, you know, I think for Democrats, they feel like keeping somebody like Jim Jordan out of the speaker chair is a win in and of itself. This is a guy that many people feel supported an insurrection against the United States. As Moulton was just telling you, it's somebody who's been in Congress, never passed a bill. His entire focus has not been on governing and legislating. It's been on derailing. It's been on stopping. It's been on being a, you know, uh, the king of oversight and investigation of anything Democratic. And that's not any way to do the business of the people. And I don't think Republican moderates or Democrats mm -hmm. are going to go for it. That's why they feel like this keeping him off of this chair or out of this chair right now is a win for them. For our listeners and viewers who are just joining us, here is what Congressman Seth Moulton uh, told us about this idea of elevating Patrick McHenry to, to formally elect him, I should say, as Speaker Pro Tem with the powers essentially of full speaker. Well, certainly something that I would consider. Obviously, the details of the deal matter here. We don't want to just give the reins to someone who's going to run away with all the horses. But he's... Mm. I think this is something that's being actively discussed. I discussed it as recently as about 10 minutes ago on the floor of the House because we need to get the, the House back to functioning. Yet, the headline on the terminal, Rick Davis, Jordan says he's not dropping out. So I guess I go back to my original question here. How many rounds will the conference let him get? Or does he end up being talked out of this in the meeting later? Yeah, it's, it's hard to tell if the caucus took a vote right now and said, who do we want to nominate? You know, same thing we did on Tuesday. Uh, my guess is he'd win that vote. There's not a there's not a strong opposition to him like a McCarthy or like a Scalise at this mm -hmm. stage, remembering that Scalise beat him on that vote only to withdraw later that day. So uh, he has such a tenuous um, uh, future as a candidate for speaker that I suspect the caucus at this stage is prepared to say, oh, just let's wait a minute. Um, so I, I, I think regardless of what Jim Jordan uh, says, uh, his, his future as a candidate for speaker is, is limited. Uh, I don't think anybody in the caucus is anxious to see another vote taken within the next 24 hours uh, that would test the limits of, of his strength as a candidate. Uh, my guess is he would lose even more votes uh, than he lost Man. between the last two rounds. So uh, I, I think it's going to be up to the caucus to say, just hold on a minute. You know, we've got to break this impasse. Mm -hmm. They've only got 20 days before funding for the government shuts down. 20 business days. That's not a lot of time to come up with a budget. They originally said, the Republicans, that they wanted to pass all these uh, 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 spending bills, these appropriations bills. Yeah. They, haven't, they haven't passed one since then. And it's been two weeks. So uh, we're entering an existential crisis where we don't have a government that can actually pass a bill that's going to fund the government uh, that will re result in a shutdown, not because of choice, but because of lack of functionality. Yeah. When Rick Davis says that, you should be nervous. Um, Jeannie, we're out of time, but do you think Hakeem Jeffries is already talking to Patrick McHenry? I do hope so. I don't know why they would wait any longer. I think they should have been talking over the weekend. So let's hope they are. We've got to get beyond this mm. chaos. This chaos helps nobody. All right. Rick and Jeannie, stay with us. The president of the United States is in Israel right now. We still have a lot more to talk about when it comes to the visit and this attempt to fund Israel. It all comes back to the speakership here in Washington. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app, or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. The President of the United States delivering a message today in Israel, even as we go through this speaker race in Washington, D.C. No ground invasion yet, and Joe Biden took the time in a bilateral meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu to urge restraint talking about the lessons learned from 9-11. He also addressed the matter of the hospital blast that killed hundreds of Palestinians in Gaza City. Of course, this became a blame game yesterday. First, Hamas blamed Israel. Then Israel pointed to a terrorist group based in Gaza. President Biden spoke to that today from Tel Aviv. Based on the information we've seen to date, it appears the result of an errant rocket fired by a terrorist group in Gaza. 
The United States unequivocally stands for the protection of civilian life during conflict, and I grieve, I truly grieve for the families who were killed or wounded by this tragedy. Let's reassemble our panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano join Bloomberg Politics contributors. Of course, Jeannie, this trip got a lot more difficult over the past 24 hours. Uh, the bombing of the hospital led to a series of events, and you know we don't have to connect the dots on all these, but... The fact of the matter is a summit of Arab leaders was canceled and the president has now cut his trip short. He'll be back in Washington, we're told, or at least on his way back tonight. Talk to us about what you've heard and seen so far as the ground shifts beneath his feet. Yeah, Joe, you said even before the this horrific incident at the hospital yesterday, you had said prior when we heard the president was going to be going that this is a high stakes trip for him. And boy, has yeah. it been. I mean, he is really walking a very fine line. I think so far he has done the best he could. But when you think about it, what is he trying to do? He's trying to support Israel. He's trying to negotiate some type of hostage release, relief rather, humanitarian aid, and most importantly, perhaps trying to deter Iran from using its proxies to expand this war. And all the time, it's like this is a ticking time bomb because Israel is going to go into Gaza and the president is trying to help lay the groundwork so they can enter without Iran using its proxies to expand this war. It is a very, very difficult needle to thread. I'm not sure anybody can make that happen, but the president and the Blinken, they are certainly trying. And I have to say, very dismaying to hear what the King of Jordan had to say, Egypt not opening their borders to these refugees yeah. from Gaza, even though, you know, Jordan, 80% of that population is Palestinian. He says it's a red line. Don't ask me why he's speaking for Egypt, but he says for both Jordan and Egypt, it is a red line they won't cross. And so these people, the humanitarian disaster is only going to escalate. Rick, I guess there's no turning around once people know you're going. But should the president still have made this trip as the summit was canceled around him? Yeah, look, I think this summit is going to be a canard for the Arab community. Uh, they're reacting to false information that they're getting out of the West, out of the uh, Gaza Strip from Hamas, who uh, you know, have a reputation for lying. Uh, the Defense Department came out with a report that says from their evaluation, and this is satellite technology, this is all mm -hmm. the kinds of uh, abilities they have to track these kinds of missiles, that this was a missile launched by Hamas. I mean, like this is this is a crying shame that the Arab community would believe uh, uh, Hamas, a international terrorist group versus uh, uh, Israeli and U.S., uh, intelligence and defense ministries. Um, they're they're going to look bad in the process. Uh, it's unfortunate. Um, and and one of the foreign uh, policy people for uh, one of the Arab communities, I forget who, uh, said, "Well, we're not going to attend this. Uh, we're not going to have this summit because it's not going to end the war." Well, it certainly would uh, make the war more palatable and end some of the suffering. Uh, and I guess uh, in this case, they've chosen to side with Hamas on, uh, on on the lies rather than trying to end some of the suffering. Biden's broken through that. He was able to uh, get humanitarian assistance agreed to to get through. So he's gotten what he wanted to get done, uh, which is relieve some of the pressure inside Gaza on the border. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think he's getting what he wanted done uh, without the cooperation of his Arab allies. I'd like for you both to listen to what he said uh, as he referred to the aftermath of the 9-11 terror attacks. This takes a minute, and we'll hear from both of you. This is Joe Biden today in Tel Aviv. You can't look at what has happened here to your mothers, your fathers, your grandparents, sons, daughters, children, even babies, and not scream out for justice. Justice must be done. But I caution this while you feel that rage. Don't be consumed by it. After 9-11, we were enraged in the United States. While we sought justice and got justice, we also made mistakes. I'm the first U.S. president to visit Israel in time of war. I've made wartime decisions. I know the choices are never clear or easy for the leadership. There's always cost, but it requires being deliberate. 
requires asking very hard questions. It requires clarity about the objectives and an honest assessment about whether the path you're on will achieve those objectives. Jeannie, first of all, he sounds exhausted, uh, which has been a bit of a theme recently. But how important is that message and to what extent can Benjamin Netanyahu take that to heart? Yeah, you know, he and Bibi Netanyahu, it was stunning to see them both together, obviously, both looking terribly exhausted. Um, You know, and of course, Bibi Netanyahu not acting solo anymore. He is part of this triumvirate, if you will, this war cabinet. And we understand there is some division in terms of how they move forward, which may be part of the holdup. But, you know, I am really struck by what Biden had to say, because it sounds very, very similar to Obama's Deputy National Security Advisor, Ben Rhodes. He's been talking about this over and over again. People said he and Obama were, you know, one in the same, if you will, on foreign policy. And he has been Mm -hmm. saying the same thing the president just said. So I hear the president channeling this message. It's an important message. But again, just to echo your important conversation to Representative Moulton, what does that actually mean? You promise to destroy Hamas, what then? You leave a power vacuum and the president is asking the right questions, but what are the answers? Not that the president has to give them, but Israel is gonna have to give them. And I don't think we've heard those yet. And that is terribly concerning. Rick, I'm sorry, we only have 30 seconds. With what we just heard from Joe Biden, will Israel be consumed by rage? No, I think Israel will extract their, uh, call it revenge, uh, and and their top priority will be to get the hostages back. And hopefully the two mm-hmm. can uh, coexist without too much civilian penal- uh, uh, crisis. Great analysis from Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, as always. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Welcome to Hour 2 of Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, where we're just now reacting to the latest failure of Jim Jordan in his quest for speaker. Welcome to Kaylee Lines, who's just back from Capitol Hill. You were up there in the midst of all the ruckus. Hmm. You're going to have to get your own office up there at some point soon. But nice. it, it got worse is kind of the headline here. It's 22 it voting for someone other than Jim Jordan. Correct. He did pick up two votes that he didn't have yesterday, mm-hmm. but then he lost four votes that he had yesterday. <laughs> right. So when you add it all up, net net, two votes worse mm-hmm. than, than the first time around. And the question now, Joe, is... What happens next? Jim Jordan's spokesperson said he's not going to drop out of the race, but Mm -hmm. do they go into conference now? Do they hold a third vote? Do they just go home and take a breather? It's anyone's guess at this point. Well, that is true. I'm sure that they don't even know themselves. Rick Davis uh, was telling us that this bid for speaker is dead, that Jim Jordan will not progress from here. But that doesn't mean they won't give him a third round. Maybe they come back around later on. It's just not looking good in terms of his momentum. Seth Moulton uh, with us a little bit earlier. I want to play for you what he said, because we talked about this idea of Democrats getting involved Mm -hmm. in in elevating or empowering Patrick McHenry to, to be a real boy and have the powers of speaker. He says they're already talking about it, Kaylee. Here's Seth Moulton. Well, it's certainly something that I would consider. Obviously, the details of the deal matter here. We don't want to just give the reins to someone who's going to run away with all the horses. But he's, Mm. I think this is something that's being actively discussed. I discussed it as recently as about 10 minutes ago on the floor of the House because we need to get the, the House back to functioning. 
10 minutes ago. Mm. That was a half hour ago. Yeah. While they were voting, he was having that conversation. Well, it's interesting because just a few moments ago on the steps of the Capitol, a Republican congressman, Brian Donalds from Mm. Florida, who says he is all for Jim Jordan. He will continue to support Jim Jordan for as many rounds of votes as it takes. He thinks Jordan will get there is very opposed to the idea of expanding the powers Hmm. of Patrick McHenry in pro tem. And I think he's not the only Republican that feels that way. It's just a question of, are there enough Republicans who could join with Democrats to make this happen? And we just aren't totally sure, as has been so often the case in recent weeks, (laughs) Joe, of the numbers. I mean, really, it is something. We're waking up every morning with no idea what's going to be in place by the time we go to bed. And that's why Sound On is essential right now, and that's why it's essential to stay in touch with Libby Cantrell, who's been writing about all of this, joins us now from New York, PIMCO's head of U.S. public policy. Libby, welcome back. It's uh, great to have you here. As we consider the idea of empowering Patrick McHenry, you wrote about this in your most recent note to clients, which have been flying lately. We're always keeping an eye out uh, for your most recent thoughts on this because it's pretty important. Is this, is this something the market would be comfortable with? Is it the best case scenario? How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I um, there there's been there's been a lot of material, needless to say, to write about uh, Joe. I, um, yeah, and <laughs> I, I, I think the the ultimate. I mean, our kind of our view is that the ultimate result, kind of end game here, is likely some sort of compromise where um, pro tem Speaker McCarthy actually gets elected. And as you point out, he may not be able to do that with just Republican votes, that might mean that Democrats will have to, to vote for them. And just to be clear, it's not necessarily a, for a permanent speaker position. It's just to right. um, effective give him more authorities in his current seat. Um, the House rules, as you well know, when people, people's eyes glaze over, but they're actually important, um, that an appointed speaker pro tem can do very limited things. Um, however, an elected speaker pro tem uh, can basically function as, for you know, for all intents and purposes, uh, just a normal speaker of the house, including really importantly bringing legislation to the house floor. However, I do think it may take a while to get there. Um, mm-hmm. I do think Republicans are likely inclined to exhaust all options on the table. That may include uh, Representative Jim Jordan going for a third ballot. We'll we'll see. Um, but it also may include, as you mentioned, <clears throat> some other folks being nominated to the floor. And sort of going through this again, so it feels like all you know, sort of, sort of arrows are pointing in the direction ultimately of a speaker pro tem being elected, and as a result, having more authorities. But it just may take a while uh, to get there. And again, I don't think this is necessarily an ideal solution for many yeah. Republicans. So I think they will try to avoid it if possible. Well, Libby, is this kind of like a continuing resolution, but instead of being about funding, it's about being who has the gavel, right? You just give a set date that Speaker McCarthy can, or Speaker McHenry, Speaker Pro Tem McHenry can act with more powers, and then eventually you are still going to have to deal with getting someone permanently the gavel, and that's still going to be just as hard, however many days or weeks from now? Yeah, that's like that's a very apt analogy. Um, no, that, that's exactly what this is. It's basically just to buy more time for the Republican caucus to sort of coalesce around you know, one one candidate. Now, that may ultimately be uh, Speaker Pro Tem McHenry. He's well-liked among various different factions um, within the GOP caucus. He's actually well-liked on the other side of the aisle as well. Um, so you know that could ultimately be sort of the resolution here that he becomes the permanent speaker. But it, again, it may have to kind of go through this sort of first step uh, in order to get there. But I don't I don't want to prejudge this because, as you guys have pointed out, there is there are a lot of moving parts here. Um, it does seem like just talking to folks on the Hill that uh, Republicans don't want to kind of go towards the Speaker pro tem uh, enabling them, um, enabling McHenry. It's sort of a first first step. So I think there will be more steps in between uh, now now and then. And every time, if you're with us on YouTube, you see Patrick McHenry just dropping that gavel with the force <laughs> of all nature. <laughs> Uh, behind it. I don't don't know if he's going to break that thing if he ends up getting it for real, uh, Libby. But let's back up to what's actually happening today. Your note to clients made it pretty clear. Jim Jordan's speaker bid is likely toast. Is that still how you see it after round two? Yeah, I may should have softened that a little bit, um, but it is is likely over. Yeah, I am honest. I'm not pulling any punches here. (laughs) Um, and, and no disrespect to, to Representative Jordan, it just it, it, it is difficult 
uh, when you go on a second ballot and instead of gaining votes, uh, you actually lose net votes. And as Haley points out, while he gained two folks, uh, he lost four. So net net, he lost two, meaning that he's 22 you know, votes away, a pretty difficult um, to, oh, sorry, 18 votes away from getting that magic 217. That's a pretty big hole from which to, to dig out of. And then, you know, Joe, we've talked about this before. If he were to try to dig out of that, meaning kind of twisting arms, what deals does he have to make? What promises does he have to make? Mm-hmm. And that could get him very much in the same situation that former Speaker McCarthy found himself in. So it doesn't feel like a very clear path uh, to getting those 217 votes. So at this point, um, I would say that, yes, his speakership uh, chances are probably are probably toast. Yeah, Libby, Congressman Womack, who has voted against Jordan, told our colleague uh, Jack Fitzpatrick earlier today that what Jordan and his surrogates need to understand is that this isn't like January. In January, the holdouts were holding out because of policy concerns. Now they're holding out because of concerns about the individual himself. Jim Jordan. It kind of feels, Libby, like all of this is personal, and it's personal for everyone who was tried and failed to be speaker at this point. Yeah, I mean, as you as you as you guys know, I mean, the 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 speaker um, of the House plays you know lots of important functions, but one you know really critical function is a fundraising one. Um, speaker McCarthy was an you know incredibly productive and successful fundraiser on behalf of the Republican conference in the House folks would very gladly invite him to their districts. I think the hesitation, Kaylee, and kind of this is where the personal connection comes in, is that you think folks, um, they're, they're hesitant about uh, Representative Jordan uh, coming to those districts that kind of are purple, if not lean blue, particularly here in New York or in California. And um, so I think there's some reticence about kind of the person and some of his votes and some of his tactics previously, and how that would kind of go over with uh, with their own donors. So. Um, and then I think some other folks do have the personal issues with him just in terms of how, you know, Representative Jordan may have navigated the whole um, when Steve Scalise was nominated. So, yes, there are uh, hmm. issues abound, needless to say. But again, I think from kind of a market's perspective, as we've talked about, this is mostly noise, mostly noise. But I do think as we get closer without a resolution, I think the folks do start getting kind of nervous that, you know, things like the government funding bill and what have you are just going to go by the wayside and that may increase the chances of, of a government shutdown. So that keeps the market on edge, of course. And when you zoom out here, Libby, the, the news on the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue is just as difficult with President Biden landing in Tel Aviv uh, in a much more complex uh, region than it was even 24 hours earlier with the summit of Arab leaders being canceled, the blast in the hospital the president trying to deliver a message of restraint while also supporting Israel at the same time. It's getting pretty complicated here. A lot of concerns as we look at the oil market about what could happen in a widening war. When you when you consider both of these, and we can drill down on the president's trip a little bit more if, if you like, but the dysfunction on the Hill, the situation the administration of the U.S. is involved in, two aircraft carriers steaming into the eastern Mediterranean, what does the market think? Yeah, and this is, um, it basically just adds yet another layer of risk. I mean, clearly the market has been distracted with lots of things. Um, um, The fact that yields, treasury yields have backed up so much. The fact that their folks are concerned about the natural buyers of of treasury bonds not necessarily showing up to auctions. Um, And then you kind of lay over the, the sort of the, the, the domestic dysfunction with the sort of geopolitical tail risk. Um, and it is a lot for the market to digest. Um, you sort of see the bond vigilantes yet again today kind of rearing their uh, their heads once again um, while yields are, are continuing to, to back up. I think that the, the real concern, of course, for the markets, um, both from a risk perspective, but also from a, from a commodity perspective, is if there were an expansion or a broadening of the conflict. Um, I mean, obviously, as on a humanitarian level, just too tragic all the way around. But I do think kind of the markets, what the markets really care about is whether there is sort of more direct confrontation, of course, between between the U.S. Um, and either Hezbollah or, or Iran directly. That is when the markets, I think, will start getting, would get very, uh, very concerned. I, you know, I think that still seems to remain a tail risk. Um, it seems that, you know, folks are being very careful in their language, very careful about you know, who was responsible for 
those tragic terrorist attacks and then what have you, um, particularly as it relates to Iran, Iran's role. But, um, you know, this is, I think, yet another tail risk for sure that the market would have to sort of, this sort of has to price in, uh, if you if you will. Yeah, and we know that there are things that markets don't like, Libya, and uncertainty, first and foremost, uh, is at the top of, of that list. So we have uncertainty with the geopolitical situation, uncertainty domestically, and yet you don't really seem, outside of perhaps oil markets, to see much reflected in the markets yet. Do you think they're reading this correctly at this point, given the risks known and unknown? Yeah, I mean, you know, oftentimes you do see your know, duration rallying, um, sort of interest rates acting, the you know, treasury rates acting sort of as a safe haven. Um, uh, and we did see that for, you know, a, you know, for a few days last week. But um, that is, again, um, sort of rewinding or reversing as, you know, folks start focusing on other things, including the, the, the strength of the economy with the retail sales and what have you this week that were it's surprisingly strong, just showing that the consumer remains incredibly robust here um, in the U.S. So yeah, I think it's sort of just a question of what markets are focused on right now. I think they're much more focused on sort of domestic economic data. They're much more focused on what the Fed is saying. We're going to have a lot of Fed speak this mm-hmm. week. Um, Chairman Powell will be making some remarks also this week. I think folks are really going to be focused on that. But all the other stuff, I think, is kind of noise until it's not, right? It's noise until it actually matters. And I think the same thing goes. Um, for for just the, the dysfunction or disunity uh, on Capitol Hill, that it that sort of doesn't matter until it does. I think the markets are just assuming it doesn't matter. Um, but again, as we said, if you get closer to that government shutdown uh, deadline, it may it, it may it may uh, view it just you know not not as much noise, but more as a signal. No, we've got a month to go to chew on that idea, Libby. It's great to see you. Thanks for the analysis, as always. It's our pleasure to have Libby Cantrell from PIMCO. You mentioned, uh, Kaylee, Steve Womack, who mm-hmm. made very similar remarks to CNN earlier today that you mentioned he was giving to Bloomberg earlier about, you know, time to give up the ghost. Here's what he said. Nobody in America can get 217 right now out of the Republican conference. If that becomes apparent to everybody, then at some point in time, we're going to have to work across the aisle, try to figure out what it's going to take for us to be able to get a speaker elected and then get the uh, the ball rolling in Congress once again. So it's on to Patrick McHenry. It sure seems like, but we have to remind our viewers and listeners, our friends here on Sound On, that literally anything could happen this afternoon. They're yeah. not even back in that conference meeting yet. Yeah, we don't know what will happen over the course of the next hour, day, week. It's just incredibly unpredictable at this moment. And to his point, we don't know if anyone can get 217 votes. Patrick McHenry possibly he may not, I, included, knowing yeah. he was a very close ally of Kevin McCarthy and helped negotiate that debt ceiling deal that got mm-hmm. everybody mad at him in the first place and ultimately, Look you know, how that slam ended. that thing, Kaylee. So, slam it. So so hard. Keep, Sam, put that thing on repeat for our viewers on YouTube. The windup. The pitch. Long fly ball to left field. <laughs> I'm Joe Matthew with Kaylee Lines. This is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.